0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Thank you, Caitlin and Jessica. Great song, great words. Thank you so much for presenting it for us. So you heard the title of my message today, and let me share my story you probably many of you probably heard it before I've been here in this country now for over 24 years I came in February cold February it was lots of snow on the ground It was really cold when I came here and when I came to this country, I was just 20 years old without language I didn't know any English just the basic words thank you and Goodbye, and maybe I could count to five, if I remember correctly. And the worst thing, I came to this country without any purpose. I just wanted to be with Eva. And my first stay here through the first six months, I actually actually hated it. I didn't like any of it, whatever I saw here. And like the subway system, I didn't like the highways, I didn't like the gas stations and like the cars. Everything was big and huge, and you can't walk anywhere. But a few years later, I was sitting at home. I was watching TV. I knew a little bit more language then, and I was flipping through the channels, and I came across the religious channel, religious channel, and it was a guy. It was late in the evening time, I think it was 11 o'clock, and there was a guy on TV screaming his lungs out. Don't believe me, don't believe me, believe this book, read everything for yourself and prove it from this book, this is the Word of God. He got my attention. And I like this telecast. I never watched any religious program before. But I, next week at the same time, I tune it, and I watched this guy again, and I was very impressed the way how he taught the Bible. And, you know, if you wonder who it was, I can share it with you. It was John Hagee. And you probably know who he is. So I actually went to the store. I went to the Polish store, and I invested money, and I bought my first Bible, which was the Polish Bible. And when I get this Bible, I start reading it. I was so impressed with it, and I think that two and a half weeks or three weeks I read the entire book from cover to cover in two and a half weeks. I was staying late till two o'clock, three o'clock at night just to read it. The most fascinating statement that I found in this, in this Bible, I don't know, if you will have a hard time to believe it. It's right here in Genesis 1 1. I want you to open it. I know we all, we all know it, what it is. But in Genesis 1 1, I was going through life, I was trying to figure it out, why I'm here in Canada, what am I going to do, where I'm going to go from here, what how my life's going to look like, what do I need to do to succeed in life. I didn't have my family, I didn't have anybody. And finally, I came in this book in the first three, few words at the beginning of this book, Genesis 1-1. And basically, in its simplicity, it just says, In the beginning, God. Just stop right there. All the questions that I had, where I came from, what I'm able to do, what is the purpose of life, anything, you just answer right here. It's not about me. In the beginning, you just go back as far as you want. But in the beginning... And this book gives you the answer right away. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Nothing else. From the beginning of this book, you see, in the beginning, God. And as you go to this Genesis account, it's amazing. Verse 3. Then God said. So simple. In the beginning was God. God said, verse five, God called, verse six, then God said, verse seven, then God made verse eight, and God called, and on and on and on. What am I here? It's not about me. I'm here because of somebody else. I'm here on this earth, I'm here because of God. Who was there, who is there from the beginning. And I was very fascinated by the Genesis account, and it's unbelievable. I had access to the Bible if I could. I just could go and reach it, and I never did it. And somehow, for some reason, here in Canada, I just hear a preacher screaming his lungs out, and I just decided to buy a Bible. And have you ever read a very interesting book that, you know, you get into this book and it's so good, it's so interesting that, you let's say, you start, you read through the first chapter, second chapter, third chapter, and you just can't wait to figure it out, what's going to happen at the end? You know, have you ever decided to go to the end of the book and just try to read, let's say, like, last few paragraphs or last page or two pages just to find out what's going to happen at the end? Anyone of you? Ever? So I, it's not just me alone. I thought that, you know, we like to cheat occasionally, right? So I went to the end of this book. I started reading to the Genesis. I'm thinking like, wow, this is a great start. I wanted to see what's going to happen at the end. Let's go to the end of this book that we call Bible. Let's go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. And I was reading the whole chapter, but in verse here, verse 12. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Man, that was another revelation to me. I didn't know what was in the middle of this book. I had some idea what happened at the beginning. But something here it says... That, you know, there will be an end, and something going to come, and there will be a great judgment, and he's coming back, and he's going to give rewards according to my life. Wow. So there is something important about my life here. And just keep reading. Verse 13. Just if you forget, even though you like to cheat, you don't read what is in the middle. You read at the beginning or at the end. If you still forget, in verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first And the last, God still reminds you who He is. He's at the beginning, He's at the end. He's at the beginning because He's at the end. Everything, from the beginning to the end, everything is about God. Not about you. Everything is about God. Verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments. Wow. Blessed are those who do His commandments, basically who are obedient. That they may have the right to the tree of life. And may enter through the gates... Into the city. Verse 15. But. Outside. Are dogs. Sorcerers. Sexually immoral. And murderers. Idolaters. And whoever loves and practice. A lie. I Jesus. Have sent my angel. To testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bright say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Back then, over 20 years ago, just by reading, starting to reading this book, I didn't go to any church. I was still going to my old traditional, you know, church. But I wasn't a man full of faith, full of commitment, anything. But as I was reading this started reading this book, this book changed my life. The things that I thought that were important in my life let's say come here to the West, get a good job, get rich, get famous, you know, wear the nice clothes, ride the nice cars and all the lies got to offer in a matter of weeks. My priorities just change like that. The things that were not important suddenly become important. The things that were very important to me, I thought they were important to me. Suddenly they just disappear. In a moment. In two weeks. Why? Because of this book. Just because of this book. And you might say, what is so special about this book? And as I was reading through the Bible, I did a little bit of research. I found it from the beginning. To me, myself, I found it very fascinating, especially about some history facts, some battles. I was very fascinated about this book. What is so special about this book? And let me tell you, there is no any other book like this. None. None even come close in comparison to this book. Let me tell you why. So this book... When you know when you have it here today, what we have it here today, the oldest books, all the sections, all the letters and everything inside. It took over 1,600 years to put it together. 1600 years just to put it together. This book is about God, but it took 40 people to write this book. Not just the one person. you can go and see quran was written by one person. Other religious books were written by one person. It could go on and on and on. One person has an influence over everything. This book, 40 people wrote this book. And what's so amazing about it, there is a common theme throughout every single book in this Bible. Common to all of them. The one does not contradict the other, even though they were, you know, written all of this over 1600 years. That is what's so amazing about this book that we call the Bible. What else? You can go and Google it. You know, like we see some books that, you know, are bestsellers. Nothing come even close to the Bible. Nothing. Any idea how many books they just estimate has been printed and sold up to today? Any idea? Take a guess. Ten, ten million. Lennon. Five million. Up to today. Come on, people. 150 million, yes. A billion. That's closer. Six billion copies. Think about it. Six billion copies of this book today. And not counting the, all the electronic versions that people download every single time. Just think about it. Six billion copies. We'll come to this a little bit later. In, so let's say compare any other book. Any other books. The bestseller books. Okay. That don't even come. Don't even come close to the Bible. And I want you to open your Bible to Second Timothy. It's a well-known scripture. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. And look what Paul is writing here to a young person named Timothy, very young. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 14. So Paul is writing to this young man, and he's writing in verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. So right, Paul is saying to Timothy, from the young, from the childhood, you know, the Holy Scriptures. He already called them the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Back then, at that time, where New Testament wasn't even in existence. There were just some letters of Paul, but it wasn't fully compiled into this, you know, set of books that we call New Testament. He's just talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. He so called it the Holy Scriptures. In verse 16, he says, all scriptures, not just some of them, not just some of the books, or just one of the books, he says, all scriptures is given by inspiration of God. For what reason? So the old scriptures is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the men of God might be complete, totally equipped, for every good work. That's it. So simple and yet so difficult to accomplish. The Holy Scripture, that's how important it was, going back over 2,000 years ago, to these people back then, to Paul, to Timothy, and a bunch of other ones. Now, some people would ask a question, what does it mean that something is inspired? And, you know, inspiration of something, you know, living in 21st century and speaking English language. this words get a little bit abused in these days. Like, you know, the word we use, love. You know, like, I love my wife. I love my coffee. I love my car. I love my book. I love my Bible. I love my God. So, just basically, we just show this word, word, love, everywhere. The same coming with inspiration. What did you inspire today to get up so early in the morning? Oh, the beautiful flowers and the birds singing. Or what did inspire you, Jen, to, you know, write something like this? So we kind of misabuse this word, too. But if you go to the Greek language and see here inspiration and inspire right here coming from 2 Timothy 3 and 16, where it comes from the Greek word, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'll try my best. But what it means, it means Theo Pnostos. So let me spell it for you. Theo, we all know what it's Theo, right? That's God. T H E O, and it comes together as a one word. T-H-E-O. T-N-E-U-S-T-O-S. So what lit- what literally means in Greek language? It means God breathed. It's a totally different meaning than inspire. God breathed. So the Scriptures claim to be breathed out. By God. Basically what it is. So, let me give you some points that were, so much, that were so helpful to me. Why I found this book so much inspire. Okay? Point number one. As you start reading this book from the beginning, you notice. Point number one. The divine, the divine godly inspiration starts with God and ends We've this whole book starts and ends with God. This book was not initiated by any man because man felt desire to write a Bible. And suddenly, you know, somebody wake up in the morning and said, you know, I have a desire. I'm inspired to write a Bible. That's not the case. God is the source. Of inspiration and God wanted to put something into our hands let's go to first Peter chapter one you all know the scripture well First Peter chapter 1 first Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesies of the grace that would come to you verse 11 searching searching what or what manner of time the spirit of christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of the christ and the glories that would follow many people wanted to know many people wanted to search many two people wrote this book many people didn't have an idea what they wrote but god inspired them for a reason So the whole inspiration of this book, from the beginning to the end, God took the initiative. Not a man. God took the initiative. That's number one. Number two, as you start with God, also the writers here in this book, they claim to be inspired by God. No one wants to take credit that, you know, I want to write you something like this. Or I felt to convey the message to you. Most of the writers says, God told me this. Thus says the Lord, and they write it. And I will give you many examples, just to see from your own Bible. Let's say, let's start with Moses. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgment which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in, go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your father is giving you. Verse 2. That's Moses. Long time ago. Verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I commend you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I commend you. Moses doesn't take the credit of the first four books of the Bible. He says, "I just wrote what God commanded me to tell you, and I'm telling you what God asked me to tell you." Basically, that's what it is. Moses is not acting of his own authority. He's telling you, he's saying, "I'm telling you whatever I heard from the Lord. Obey this command." What about David? Go to Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. 2nd Samuel chapter 23 2nd Samuel chapter 23 verse 1 These are the last the last words of David The last words of David Thus says David the son of Jesse Thus is the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. David doesn't take the credit of it. He did not say, it's my work. I was inspired. I produced such a great art for all you people. He doesn't take, he doesn't say it. He says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his words was on my tongue. That's how important it was for for, for David. He never claimed glory for himself. He said, God inspired him to use these words that we use today, thousands of years later. What about Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. And you can see it throughout the Bible. I'm just giving you selective examples. But you can see in many, many cases. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying... The same thing Jeremiah is saying, no, it does. it's not my idea. The word of the Lord came to me and he's saying, go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord... And that's the message of Jeremiah throughout his whole book that he wrote. He never even once claimed authority for the word that he wrote. So we can see how the beginning of the book actually took inspiration from God. The end of it. And even the writers claimed to be inspired by this book. That was my second point. Now, if the beginning was inspired by God and the ending was inspired by God, guess What? Point number three, the entire process was guided and inspired by God from the beginning to the end. So can you believe it? What is so special about this Bible? 40 authors over 1600 years and God worked with different individuals, you know, coming from different way of life and conveying almost the same message. The entire process from the beginning to the end was guided by no one else but our Father, God who is in heaven. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 21. Isaiah 51 and verse 21. Isaiah writes here, As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, not from the mouth of your descendants, and not from your mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, for this time and forevermore. God is always working with people along the way. And brethren, right to second point, I forgot one scriptures there. There are many, many, but I just forgot one. That even our Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to the second scripture, right? There's the second point that I gave you. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, it said in Matthew chapter 5. You can go there quickly. We all know the verse. But how important the Holy Scripture was to our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse in chapter five, in Matthew chapter five, and in verse eighteen, Christ says, For assuredly I, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, no one yard nor one title will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And also on the point Jesus Christ said in Luke something similar in Luke chapter twenty four. Luke chapter twenty four and verse forty four Luke chapter twenty four and verse forty four. Okay, Luke chapter twenty four and verse forty four. Look what Christ says here at the end of Gospel of Luke. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that how many things? That all things must be fulfilled which were written were in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the psalm concerning me. That's where the Lord of our Jesus, of Jesus Christ about the Holy Scripture, about the Old Testament. Even he had faith in them and believed in them. So, just go back to my point number three that God guided the entire process. And I gave you the scripture from Isaiah 59:21. Now just go to Daniel. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, and in verse 8, Daniel writes here at the end of his book, he says, Although I heard, I did not understand. And then I said, My Lord, what shall be the end of this thing? That's what Daniel saying. He never ever take the ownership of whatever he wrote. He always gave credit to God. And he, said, and he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Through all this process, many shall be purified, made white and refined by the wicked shall the wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And Daniel just passed. He, he died. Not having a full understanding of what he actually wrote in this book that we call Daniel. Point number four. And many of us can probably attest to this. The supernatural change in people once people get down and start reading this book. Supernatural change in people. That's what happened to me and I'm sure that's what happened to many of you here. This book can change people's life. And let's look at the example of Apostle Paul in the Book of Acts, chapter nine. Book of Acts, chapter nine. I'll give you many, many scriptures today. Lick your fingers, graze your fingers, we'll flip through many pages. I just don't want to use my words. I would rather let the scripture speak about itself. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 14, just breaking into the context here, we're talking about the conversion of Apostle Paul. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, To Ananias, go, for he is chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hand on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately deferred from his eyes something like a scales, and he received sight at once, and arose, and was baptized. So, like you see, there's miracles that took place. It wasn't just about the physical, physical healing that he received his eyesight. Suddenly, from this point also, Paul could understand the spiritual things that God wanted him to do. And just look here. In verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciple of Damascus. And look at verse 20. Immediately he preached preached the Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of God. What a transformation through the word of God. From going one way, turning around 180 degrees and going the opposite way, opposing Christ. Now this man is preaching Christ in every synagogue on every occasion he could. There's this unbelievable story about Paul. And look what happened to him in book of Acts chapter 28. Speaking about the love for the word of God. Book chapter, at, the book, at the end of his life, in book of Acts chapter 28, look what he was still doing his entire life. In, verse, in, in chapter 28, at the end of the book of Acts, in verse 22. But we desire... From you, what do you think? From concerning this sect, we know that it's spoken against everywhere. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. And look at this, from morning till evening. he will never get tired. This book excited him so much that at the end of his life, he was ready to give his life for it. From morning till evening. And verse 24, some were persuaded by the things which which were spoken, and some disbelieved. But Paul never gave up. He was always available from the morning to the evening to anybody who knocked on his door and wanted to talk about God of this Bible. And 2 Timothy, when he was ready to die, Second Timothy chapter 2, chapter 4, Second Timothy chapter 4, let's say you have about a week to live or maybe a few weeks to live, you don't know, if somebody would ask you or if somebody would ask me, oh, Brother John, what would you like me to bring? You have just a few more weeks to to live. You know, I could probably say like, yeah, bring me a coffee, double-double, or bring me a donut or you know, bring me something. You know, get me an ice cream. I haven't had ice cream in six months. Or, you know, give me something good. I don't gonna live long. Look here, in Second Timothy chapter four, and in verse thirteen, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, "Bring me the cloak that I left with, that I, that I left with Carpus at Troas when he went." And when you come, and what else? What he asks? Bring me clothes, so I'm because I'm called. And he says, "And bring me the books." Especially the parchment. What he was asking for. Parchments. He was asking for this. Bring me my Bible. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. And I can use so many things. And Paul says, bring me the Bible. I want to have it by me. Just bring it with me. And this man, trust me, this man remember a lot of Old Testament scriptures. He could quote it from from his memory. And his last day he says... Just bring me the whole book. Bring me the whole book. This book can change people's lives. Point number five. As we can see, if God inspired the beginning, God inspired the whole process, God inspired the end, and through all this process, people can come and be changed. And next point, point number five. The Bible is without error. And that's where... We can get a lot of debate coming from different people. What I mean, the Bible is without error. Okay? This Bible that I'm holding right here, this Bible is with many errors. Okay? The Bible that you have, it is with many errors in it. Many errors just to translation alone occur in all kinds of Bible translations. What I'm saying, the Bible that came in the original... This was not something that had many errors in it. It was pure. Other, other things that, you know, this Bible is not about errors. There are some facts that you can deny it. Historically. Geographically. And, you know, and many people, so many people didn't just look like, let's say, they would look at some of this, you know, Old Testament scripture. They would look at the book of Daniel and says, you know, this can't be true, because this fact is not confirmed by the secular history. I would say the opposite. Many facts were confirmed in secular history, because guess what? They were right here in the Bible. And over the time, through archaeology or some other discovery, they just came to a conclusion. Yeah, King David actually really existed. But before that, they didn't have nothing about King David. The only thing about King David was here, in the Bible. So we see, the Bible is without error. And let me give you some fact that I find very interesting. The oldest copy that we can find, okay? There are many copies, but the oldest copies that we can find from the Old Testament in today's museum, it goes back to 1000 A.D. It's not that old, right? thousand years old. The oldest copy of the Old Testament museum goes back to 1000 A.D. 1000 A.D. So some people question it. 1000 A.D., what about the things that were wrote, written thousands of years ago? How do you know that this document written in one, 1000 A.D. is right? There were not many errors. How many of you heard about that Sea Scrolls in 1947? How many of you heard about that discovery? So you know what they find amazing? Some of the Bible books, like the book of Isaiah from 1947, that was actually written 100 B.C., okay? 100 B.C., the copy of the book of Isaiah, they said, I don't remember their exact percentage, but they said 98% or 99% was accurate to the oldest manuscript they had. Can you think about it? How powerful this book is? God made sure that the message that is in this book is conveyed from generations to generations without any errors. Now, what about the New Testament? This gets very interesting. What about the New Testament? How many people believe in Plato? How many people believe in Plato? How many manuscripts do you have on Plato? Anyone can guess? How many manuscripts do you have on Plato? How many? Take a guess. How many? Hundreds. Anyone? No. no. Less than that. Rather Seven. Everybody believes in Plato, right? Everybody believes in Plato. What about Aristotle? How many copies do we have of his writing? Throughout all different kind of, you know, documentations, history. How many do we Five. And everybody believes in him, right? That this guy existed. He wrote. He was a great philosopher, right? Everybody believes it. And now people say, what about the New Testament? How do we know for sure that, you know, it was written? Do you know how many copies we have of the New Testament? Let's guess. No. Between four and 5,000. they different pieces of New Testament. doesn't matter. Gospel, letters, and stuff like that. And you can put them side by side and compare them. They're not an But they convey the same message. So now the question is, how come the people believe in Plato, based on seven historical facts, And they discard the New Testament because we have 4,500 copies. And they say, that's not historical. That's not truthful. You know, that's just invention of Christianity. But we believe in Plato. He was a great philosopher. He was a great scholar. And, you know, and even today, he probably have more influence here in Western society than Jesus Christ. Just think about it. It's crazy, but that's what it is. Let's go to Psalm 119, and see what God writes, what David wrote through God about his word. That is without error, okay? Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and in verse 160. So I have a New King James Version. And my New King James Version says this. The entirety of your word is true. Not just some portion. The entirety of your word is true. And every one of your righteous judgment endures forever. Who is using different translation here? What, anyone is using different translation, the New King James Version? What do you have? So let's say, what, 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 what do we have? Like King James Version or something else. What do you have? Or NIV. Can you read it the same verse? What does it say there? How many? How many of the, how many of your words are true? So how can people come to the conclusion that they can pick and choose? You know, there are some scholars today. They call themselves theologians, and they reduced the gospel in the New Testament just to a few pages. Because they concluded that every miracle Jesus performed didn't actually happen. So they just take it away, take it away, took it away, took it away. And just left few saying and few, you few know, of Jesus Christ that's left. That's what we as a human being can do. And you know, I don't have to tell you this, but in the New Testament, John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus Christ said the same thing. Your word is true. In the Gospel of John chapter 17, verse 17. So, if you connect all these facts together, right? Well, like I said, the whole process is inspired by God, from the beginning to the end, even the, the authors, 40 of them, they claim that they were inspired by God. If all this thing happened, guess what? Can anyone destroy this book? So that my next point, point number six, the Bible is not destructible. No one can destroy this book. If it came from God, No one will be ever able to destroy this book. And trust me, there is lots of opposition all over the place. There are many people who try to destroy this book through all kinds of reasonings. But they try to destroy this book. How many of you heard about the French philosopher named Voltaire? That wasn't his real name. You heard about it, right? You know what his prediction, you know what he said? In the 18th century, you know what he said? That in fifty years there'll be an end to Christianity and be end to the Bible. That's what he predicted. And you know what happened? Fifty years after he died, fifty years after he died, in eighteen twenty eight, just fifty years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society was using his press and his house to publish the Bibles all over the place. I'm not kidding. You can, you can check it out. The French philosopher made a prediction. He made a prophecy. He thought he knew a lot. He can destroy God and he can destroy God's book. And that's what happened to him. I want you to go to Mark chapter 13, please. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 and verse 31. No one will ever destroy this book. Look at what Christ says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So yes, this earth will disappear. The heaven that we see, that we know, will disappear. God's word will never ever disappear. Take it as a fact. Look at some history and just be encouraged by it. No one will ever be able to destroy it. And I can go on and on and on, brethren. Like, you know, there are other points that I could give you. What about prophecy? There are like hundreds, there are thousands of prophecies that God God actually mentioned it and later he fulfilled it. He mentioned it and he fulfilled it. You can use that some prophecies about Jesus Christ, about His life, His death, His resurrection, that they were written long time before, the place where He was birthed, how He, he was, birthed, how He was, how He's gonna die and all this stuff. All this prophecy, all of them, about 300 of them in total, came to conclusion in one person, Jesus Christ. Just prophecy alone. I'm not gonna go through all of this because that's a subject for itself. We can talk for days. Just about this fact alone. What about archaeology now? How many archaeologists fact that we now dig out in Israel and we just say like, yes, we know about Solomon. We know about King David. We have, we have some inscription or some facts, you know. Wow, you know, it's a shocker. We found some Egyptian chariots and many of them in the Red Sea. Oh, wow, what were they doing there? They were riding on the sea. So, you see, all this thing coming now, after all these thousands of years, God preserved some of it for humanity just to see. And just to believe what he's actually saying in the Bible. But there are still skeptics who try to put everything down. And, have, and they always find a different explanation when it comes to it. You know, there is a logical explanation for, you know, inspiring this book. There are many, many reasons. I'm just giving you the one that I find very interesting, right? You know, I'm not a very intelligent man or a smart man. When it comes to logic, I like just the basic stuff. You know, some people would say that, what about this? Maybe some evil men, or let's say, let's start with the good, the positive. What about if this Bible was just written by some good men? Okay, some good men decided or some to write the Bible. Okay, let's think about it for a second. If a good man, they call them a good man, were trying to write this book, why all these good men would lie there and says, "Thus says the Lord," "Thus says the Lord," all over the place. Why would they lie about it? Why well, the Jews wouldn't write, Daniel said this, Jeremiah said this, you know, David said say that. Well, David advised you to do that. All of them, they claim the same thing. Thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, not my words. So I would a good man lie. You know, the same argument you can use. What if some evil, what, you know, when I came, when I came, when I was reading this book, there were some people who called themselves some Christians who told me that this is the work of devil. I should not spend and read it. This is the work of devil. The Bible is the work of devil, right? Just just think about the logic. Would would devil write something like that and condemn sin here? It's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense, right? But this book from the beginning to the end, guess what? Condemn sin. Why would Satan write about sin? He would write a book, different book, right? We have many of them now. That actually encourage you to sin. Go and sin even more. So, you know, brethren, there are many, many things that you can go on and talk about it. And, you know, speaking about some classics, I was asking about how many printed copies you can think of now about this Bible. About, we don't know exactly, way over 6 billion. And on top of that, I think this Bible is translated to over 1,300 different languages and dialects across the world. As far as I know, know, almost 98% of population have some access to some part of the Bible. In their own language. Almost 98%. Now I said, what about some other bestsellers there? Okay, some other bestsellers. Have you heard about this? A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens. How many copies were sold? 200 million. That's almost top of the list, 200 million. The Lord of Rings. You heard it, right? How many copies? 150 millions. The Lord of Rings, 150 millions. And Harry Potter. Everybody heard about Harry Potter, right? 60 million. And people are surprised when you tell them that, you know, that this book is not just a best-selling, all-time best-selling book. This book wins every single year. You won't see it on, let's say, uh, what does it call, like a uh, Globe and Mail bestsellers, you know, of the year, or you know, other, you know, what's the, what's the big one in New York, New York, New York Times? You won't see that the bestseller of the year was was the Bible, and you know, outnumber them by millions, the book who is whatever other book that is number second, right? So the easiest way to get rid of it, so you don't get your attention, they will just divide it into the religion stuff and the other secular stuff, so you won't see it how how badly the other stuff is unnumbered by this book, Bible. Just the way how it is. Now, let's come to the more difficult subject. People would say, how come that there are so many people who reject the Bible? And, you know, what are some of the reasons that people would reject the Bible if this book is such a miraculous book? It's stopping the list for so many years. How come that some people reject it? And, you know, I have my own reasons. You probably have your own reasons why, you know, you have, you know, dealing with your families, you have dealing with your friends and co-workers, and, you know, we can go on and on. And no matter what you try to do, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to just, you know, hey, just read the book and see what you come up with. Just read the book. People just don't want to believe it. What are the, what are the, some of the reasons? That people don't accept it as a book. Just look at some scriptures. It's better with the scriptures explain itself that, you know, I'm going to give you the reasons. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And in verse 25. Matthew, chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seems good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son was to reveal Him. That's the one of the explanations why people reject the Bible. Because it's not entirely up to us. We need a help from God. Matthew chapter 13. Just a few pages over. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 11. And He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears, ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes are, and their eyes have closed. At least they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. At least they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should, so that I shall heal them. So there is a reason, a deeper reason why some people have a problem. With this book. I'll give you some other scriptures. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And verse 17. Jesus answered and said to them. Blessed are you. Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father. Who is in heaven. That's what happened to Peter. And that's what happened. Almost every single single one of us here. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And in verse 40. Romans chapter 8 verse uh, 5. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. And look what it says here. For those who live according to the flesh, to their physical understanding, set their minds on the things of the flesh, on the physical understanding. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded, to be physically minded, is death. But to be spiritually minded, is life and peace. And in verse 7, Paul says, because the carnal mind, the physical mind, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor it can be. So, as you can see, in this case, what Paul is writing here, if you're just physically concerned about what's happening in your life, the end of your life will be eternal death. doesn't matter how successful you may be in your, this physical life. But if you're more concerned in this life, about the spiritual life, what is God trying to deal with you and, and do with your life, Paul is saying here, that's a blessing, an eternal life. So there are separations from physical, from carnal, to the spiritual. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Paul is writing here almost the same thing. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are a foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So that's where many people can, you know, laugh at you and say that you're crazy, that you don't have a brain, you can't understand, you know, you can't put all this fuck together, you know. All the scholars will say about everything, about the evolution and everything like that, they'll just bombard you with all this stuff. And say, how can you not see it? And, you know. We people of God look the other way and says, you know what? How can you be so crazy and not see all this wonderful stuff that God did it? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's well to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So there is another reason why there are so many believers, and they don't see, don't, don't appreciate, don't value the word of God. And the last one in First John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 and verse 6 John is writing here he says we are of God why because he who knows God hears us and he who is not of God does not hear us but this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error God's people are obedient to this book brethren and i don't know how for how long i've been here but it doesn't matter Now in closing you know as you can see many people especially non-Christians, even Christians have all kind of explanation and will give you many, many reasons why to discard this book. They'll use all kind of tricks and all kind of arguments you know just pointing you how this book is full of errors. But at the same time If you, if you read this book, and if you study this book, and if you fall in love with this book, I know one thing. It will change your life. And what you will find out over the time, that you can work hard. You can work hard trying to flip all the pages, trying to prove that this book is not right. And you know, you'll we'll come to the same conclusion. You can't prove it. Trust me, I work hard. I work hard for three months. I was trying to prove, Pastor Van Stinson that Sabbath is just a total nonsense. It's for Jewish people. And I came to CGI. Because I couldn't find any proof. About any other day, except the Sabbath. And... I know how difficult it is, especially for uh, younger generations. You know, you go to schools, you go to universities, you go to colleges, and when you say that you're Christians, people will just basically laugh at you. You know, how outdated you are, and you know, how unpopular you are, you know, and especially when you really care about your behavior and behaviors of others. You know, when you say, like, I don't do this stuff, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't swear. Then you know you'll be a very, very weird person in this society. When you say, you know, you can't go for a tournament because it's a Sabbath day and you want to go to church, people would think that you're crazy. You can participate in so many, you know, activities that are out there. You can have hockey because guess what? Most of the games happen on the weekend. You want to be a soccer player. Most games are on the weekend. But you know in the end. All these things. One day. Will pass away. I wanted to be a soccer player. When I was 10, 12, 13 years old. I didn't see anything but soccer. And now I love to watch soccer. But it's not my commitment. You know I like to watch hockey. But it's not my commitment. I'm not dedicating my life to watch soccer. I don't dedicate my life to watch soccer, you know, any other sport. But there's one thing that I dedicate my life, that's to this. And the more I read it, the more things I find out. And the more things I find out, the more excited I am. And the more excited I am, the more passionate I am about God and His cause. And let me leave you with the last scripture, the last closing scripture for today, which is in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. In verse 4. Romans chapter 14 and verse 4. For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures... May have hope. Now may God, may the God of patience and comfort, grant you to be like-minded minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus. That you may with, with one mind and with one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.